Thank you so much, Phil. You may be seated today. What a great singing that is. To God be the glory. Let me encourage you to find your place in 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number uh, 3. Uh, I'll be watching my, my watch today, making sure we stay on time through the coronavirus. I've been forgetting my watch and coming and, uh, and want to see what time it is and how long the preacher's been going. had not been able to see it. Uh, but not that it matters that I have it on my wrist, but I do have it, just so you'll know. It reminds me of that story of a grandfather that took his child to service, and the child was so curious, he wanted to know every little detail that was going on. He had asked his grandpa, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And the ushers would come down for the offering. He'd say, what does that mean? They're walking the aisle. And the grandfather would say, they're about to take up the offering. And then after they take up an offering, somebody would stand up and the music would start playing and said, well, what does this mean? And he says, well, that's an offering special. She's going to sing while they take up an offering. And then after that, the preacher got up and he took off his watch and laid it on the pulpit. He says, what does that mean? And the grandfather looked at the son and said, it means absolutely nothing, son. Nothing. It means nothing. All right. So here we are. We're finding ourselves here in 1 Peter chapter number 3. I want to begin this morning by us thinking about this. Do you ever think you'd live in a day where wrong is right and right's wrong? I mean, we're living it today. As a matter of fact, I've, I've talked to many of you this week, and um, it seems the overarching theme of everyone, even, even preacher, is anger. We're angry over what's going on in our culture. As a matter of fact, the Bible says something about anger. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. But I think one of the issues, one of the challenges that we face as Christians today is we sacrifice the gospel for our anger. We would rather be angry and expose our anger and, and talk about our anger and show ourselves in an angry way uh, rather than let the gospel speak for us and let the Lord take the vengeance. Uh, several years ago when I was at another church, I had a lady, bless her heart, she, she loved social media and she loved to air out her dirty laundry on social media. I mean, anytime anybody did anything wrong, somebody cut her off or somebody was ugly to her, she took the Facebook and just lit it up. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't want her Jesus. Because it was more about complaining and more about how frustrated she was and how awful this world is and how bad people are and yada, 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 all these things. And never a good word about Jesus Christ. See, one of the things we fail to realize is as a culture digresses, as it moves from a place of or orderliness, that being creation, sin comes into play, it moves from order to chaos. That's called the second law of thermodynamics here on this planet Earth. God called it sin. And because of sin, sin has infiltrated our world to the extent that we have moved from a position where we respect and love God to a position to where we do not respect God. We have taken the Ten Commandments out of the school system. We've taken prayer out of the school system. We've taken the Ten Commandments out of every arena. We're tearing down monuments. We're removing every little bit of history that we possibly can. Why? Because we're angry. And we as born-again children of God, as Christians, have to respond to this. And the question is, how do we respond to it? And right now, we're not responding in a very good way. We're responding in a, out of anger. The Bible is very clear and tells us how we are to respond in a culture that's changing. It's found in 1 Peter. It's a word that, again, began in the 16th century. It was called civility. 
But Peter recognized it a whole, a whole, uh, excuse me, many, many years ago and recognized the totality of this concept of civility and told the church of Asia Minor, said, listen, you have got to get this thing under control because what people need to see in you, especially during a changing culture, is the truth. They need to see the truth of Jesus Christ. A lot of people love that passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus turned the money changers over. But according to them, that's the only verse that exists with Jesus. No, there are other verses that exist in response to Jesus and how he responded to a culture of change. And God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave to Peter. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was given by God these words to encourage us in a changing culture. How that we need to be exercising Christian civility. Just to show you how bad it was, if you have your Bibles, look at 1 Peter chapter number 1 in verse number 6, where Peter says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice... Though now for a season, if need be, and then watch, listen to this second part. He says, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now remember, this letter is a chain letter. And the whole reason why this letter is being sent out is because Nero has put the blame of the burning down of Rome on Christians. says it's Christians' fault. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we are seeing greater and greater hostility coming towards Christianity. And if it continues to progress, the next thing will be persecution. But Christians, I want you to rest assured, and I want you to let your salvation be known, and I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and do not be afraid of persecution when it comes. Because it is through persecution you see the great and glorious rise of the true church of Jesus Christ. I was listening to... Uh, to to uh, Ravi Zacharias, who's now with Jesus, and he was communicating and talking about this issue of what's wrong with America. And he says, you're not going to like the answer that I have in response to what's wrong with America. But he says, the bottom line is the church is what's wrong with America. We've become so shallow as a church, we're depending upon the pastor to give us everything that we need. And all we're doing is parroting or, or mimicking. We're not diving into the Word of God for ourselves. Did you hear what Connor said? Connor said when it, in the baptism, he said when he finally started reading the Word of God for himself, he realized that Jesus was not his Lord. This is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a walk and I'll pray a prayer and boom, you got fire insurance and you don't go to hell. No, it's true conversion in knowing that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and knowing that we're sin, our sin has separated us from God. And the only way to get that sin forgiven is to recognize Jesus as the Messiah that died in my place on Calvary's cross. He died for me that I might have eternal life. And whosoever comes to him shall be saved. And so we're finding here that in this culture of change, what people need more than anything is Jesus Christ. And just as the church at Asia Minor, as they were experiencing all these manifold temptations that were pushing down against them, as the finger was pointed, say, it's your Christian's fault. The Christians are to blame. Notice what the scripture says again in chapter 2 in verse number 9. He calls them, he says, but I want you to remember you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And watch this, listen to what he says. You are a peculiar people. You're a people that the world looks at and goes, they're strange, they're strange birds. They're strange. 
And then he goes on to say there in verse number 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. He says, you're not only are you a peculiar people, you're strangers in a foreign land. You're pilgrims that are sojourning through this life. I'm telling you, this is not our best life now. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Our home is in heaven. And he goes on to say this in chapter uh, number 2 and verse number 20. Watch this. He says, for what glory is it? If when ye have been buffeted for your faults, he says, when persecution has come upon you and they're accusing you of being at fault, you're the one, you're the reason why this mess is happening. He says, ye shall take it patiently. He says, don't be so quick to respond. Take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, man, I don't like that. I love the joy of the resurrection, but I do not like the suffering. And the Bible says we need to be a part of both. He says, so when you suffer for it, he says you take it patiently, and then look at what he says in relationship to God. This is acceptable with God. Why? Because that's exactly the way Jesus responded. And so in this world of incivility, you and I are called by God to be civil. And he tells us there in chapter 3, in verse number 8, he says, finally, be ye all. Now, let me say something parenthetically if I could. This term finally means everything that he's already said. He's already talked about spouses. He's already talked about subjecting yourself to authority. He's already talked about uh, us as people of God in relationship to holiness. He's talked about all these things specifically. And now he's moving from a specific aspect to a general aspect. And he says, now listen, I want to talk to the whole church is my final thought. My final thought is for the entire congregation. I've dealt with you specifically in these different arenas, but now I want to deal with the church as a whole. So he says, finally, be ye all, watch this, of one mind. You see it there in verse number eight? He says, I want you all to be thinking the same thing. It's the Greek word uh, phronos. It means to be one-minded. It's to It's to be harmonious in your thinking, to all be thinking the same thing. He says, I want the church in the midst of a changing culture to be thinking the same thing. Uh, To put it another way, he wants us to maintain the unity of heart. My my point that I want to make here is is simple in, in regards to the church at Maysville. Never forget our purpose. Our purpose is summed up in a statement that we are to love God, love others, and serve the world. Regardless of the pressure that's put upon us by our culture, our responsibility is to love God. Our responsibility is to love others. Our responsibility is to serve the world. And this is exactly what Paul or Peter is talking about in regards to being one-minded. I want the church to have one mind. Only he doesn't say it, love God, love others, serve the world. What he's going to say is, he's going to say, I'm going to call you to three things. I'm going to call the church to, to exercise in a changing culture. I'm going to call you to three things under the inspiration of God and through his Holy Spirit. And I want to give you those three this morning. Number one, the first thing he calls us to is a call to reflect. A call to reflect. 
in verses 8 through 10, Peter is asking the Christians to agree together on how they will mentally process what's going on around them. He wants them to be thinking with the mind of Christ. And so he points out five areas of their thinking that he wants the church to agree upon and exercise principles towards. What do you, what do you mean? Let me give them to you. There are five of them. The first one is this. He wants the church to be sympathetic when it comes to their conduct. So with the culture is changing and pushing on around them, he says, church, I want you to think about this finally. Be ye all, verse 8, of one mind, having compassion one for another. That word compassion is where we get our English word sympathy. He says, in a changing culture, I want you to be sympathetic when it comes to your conduct. That is your feelings. Don't let your feelings control you. You control your feelings. Man, it is so easy today to get so angry. You just want to run. Don't let your feelings control you. You are under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And as a born-again child of God and the Holy Spirit resting inside of you, God has given us insight through the Word of God that He wants us to be sympathetic when it comes to our conduct, when it comes to our feelings. Get those things under control. And this word sympathy here in the text is a sincere feeling for and with the needs of others. you got to remember, lost people are going to act like lost people. And so what does a lost person need? A lost person needs Jesus. But they'll never want your Jesus as long as you're cussing them out. And that is true. That's why the finger's being pointed right back at us. It's your fault. You're the ones that say you love God. And if you truly have the answer to eternal life, if you truly have the answer that you're going to heaven when you die, then why Are you cooped up in your church and you're not going out sharing? And and so Peter recognizes this and says, look, you've got to be sympathetic when it comes to your conduct. To put it simply, we are to be ready to share in the suffering of, of others, not just in our congregation, but outside the church. That God would give us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I love what one Scottish writer I read this week, one Scottish writer put it this way. He says, and I quote, Moses, the greater man than Aaron, was not called to be the high priest. Why? Because he had grown up in the palace. He had never felt the lashes of the taskmaster, the blast of the brick uh, keels, the raw-fingered agony of unrequited toil. He couldn't be touched with the feelings of their infirmities. But Aaron could. He was there. We may pity from above, he says, but we can only sympathize from beside. Brothers and sisters, in regards to being hurt, in regards to in a culture that's changing, we've been there. And we can sympathize with others. God did not call us to revolutions. God did not call us to riots. God has called us as vessels of grace that we might experience revival. 
So we demonstrate harmony as born-again children of God. We have to be of the same heart, of the same mind. We have to agree. And, and Peter is calling the church, reflect upon this. Think about this, he says, having compassion one for another. Be sympathetic when it comes to the conduct, to your conduct. Number two, the second thing he says there is he tells them to not only be sympathetic, but he wants them to reflect upon this, that they are to be loving when it comes to their community. They're to be loving when it comes to their community. He uses a Greek word here in the text. Notice what he says, love as brethren. Love as Philadelphia. We understand that to be brotherly love. In fact, a, a rendering of this, if we just were to, 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 to etch it out from a Greek perspective, it would mean brother love. Brother love. To have a brotherly love for someone. It has to do with the affections of somebody that's close to you. Let me ask you a question. Who's close to you? Well, you're sitting beside somebody that's close to you. They're close to you. And you love that person. And what Peter is doing is he's challenging the church. He's saying, look, I want you to be loving when it comes to your community. Maysville Baptist Church is centered here in Maysville, Georgia. And yet here in Maysville, Georgia, there are people under the shadow of our steeple that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Could it be that in your home, surrounding your home, a Christian home, a home that knows Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord, could there be people around you that do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? What a great opportunity to ask God, God... Help me to do something about this. Maybe there's a neighbor that's a, a part of this church. Or maybe God's calling you to host an in-home Bible study for your community so that you can reach out and reach your community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they might be like Connor and read the word of God for themselves and realize it's not a book full of do's and don'ts, but it's a book full of grace and mercy and kindness and love and peace and help in the day of trouble. See, the world needs to see the truth. They're not seeing the truth. The truth of the gospel is not name it, claim it, social gospel. Everything's going to be great if you come to Jesus. That's not the true gospel. The true gospel is you're going to suffer for your faith. The world's getting worse. It's not getting any easier. And God's looking for a remnant to take a stand and say, Come what may, Jesus is still Lord. And you do that by loving when it comes to your community. N number three, watch this. Here's a third thing. i, I got to hurry. He says, not only do we, do we need to be sympathetic and loving, but he says the third thing, be compassionate or be kind-hearted when it comes to their compassion. Now remember, he's calling them to think about these things. He says, I want you to think about this. Think about it. He tells them in the text, he says, having compassion, there's sympathy, Love is brethren. There's brotherly love. And then he says, I'm reading the King James, be pitiful. Uh, that word pitiful there means to be kind-hearted, to be tender-hearted. I'll tell you what, that's something we've lost in our culture today as Christians. We're no longer tender-hearted. I, I was having a conversation with a gentleman this past week, and uh, we were talking about children, and he was asking the question. He said, how your children, he said, your children are noticeably different in the, in the school. He says, how did you do this? How, how, do you, how, how, did you, how did you give them this truth? And they follow after the truth of, of loving God. Now, don't get me wrong. My kids aren't perfect, but he's referring to an incident that happened. Uh, this uh, teacher in particular stood up and was praying uh, during this uh, uh, extracurricular activity. He was praying for the, his students, and he got choked up. 
And as he got choked up, he walked away just to get his composure. And Grant, my son, walked over and put his hand on his shoulder and said, I I just want to check on you and make sure you're all right. Thank you for praying for us. And this is what he said about Grant. And he's right. He's telling the truth. Grant's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. The boy works at Krispy Kreme Donuts, and shame on him brings donuts home just about every blame night. I've gained seven pounds during Corona. All because of Krispy Kreme. But I thank God for it. It's like manna from heaven. (sighs) He said this. This is what he said. He said, he's such a tender-hearted kid. And And here was what I asked. I said, would you pray that God would protect that tender heart and that he would be tender-hearted the rest of his life? Because let's face it. We're living in a society today where a tender heart becomes calloused real easy. As a matter of fact, I'd like to do a heart check with you. How's your heart? How's your heart today? Is your heart calloused over what's going on today? As God is calling out to each one, as He's calling out to each one of us to be a witness for His glory, can all we say is that we damn people? And and we seek the worst for people. Now, what we really need as born-again children of God is we need to show Jesus to this lost world. They need to see compassion. They need to see humility, if you will. They need to see this issue that God loves them without any restrictions. He loves them just the way they are. And if they would come to Jesus, things could change. But we see we got to have a tender heart to be that way. And a lot of times our hearts become calloused. And so he says, when it comes to your community, you need to be loving. But when it comes to your compassion, you need to be kind-hearted. Be tender-hearted. And then number four, here, here's a fourth one very quickly. I've got to hurry. Here's the fourth one. He says, I want you to think about this, church. Think about this. Also think about, in verse number eight, be humble when it comes to your concentration. What you think about. Look at what he says in verse number 8. He uses the term be, uh, be uh, pitiful, uh, be courteous. He says, I want you to be humble on the things you concentrate about. Uh, this word uh, means to be humble-minded. It's this all-encompassing and most essential part of a Christian value. Humility begins in our heart but it moves into our mind. I love what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Listen to, listen to what he said. He said, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Where there's the same root, root word, thinking of others more than you think about yourself. You know, a lot of times when we get a calloused heart, We like to use the excuse, well, that's just the way that I am. And really what happened is, you stopped listening to the Word of God. 
You stopped having your quiet time. You stopped going to church. You stopped reading the Word of God. You stopped letting the Holy Spirit guide you, and you started feeding that flesh. And when you feed that flesh, what happens is you callous your heart. Your heart becomes calloused. And through that calloused heart, when God, got, when God probes you or when he, uh, when he prods you, when, he, when he, 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 he gets you and he pokes you and he says, you're not, that's not right, you're not doing what's right, we don't feel it anymore. And, and we throw our hands up in there and say, God doesn't talk to me anymore. No, you're not listening. Your heart has been calloused. And so he says here in this passage of Scripture, he says, when you, when you think about it, think about it from a humble perspective. Look at, look at these individuals that are out there that are rioting, that need Jesus. They're lost and they need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But if you want to know that, you've got to look at them like a living soul that Jesus Christ died for. He says, be humble when it comes to what you think about. And then here, here's the fifth one, and I move on. He says, you need to be blessing people when it comes to their condition. Now, I, please remember, this is not easy. This is, this is not fun. He's telling a church where the culture is changing in Asia Minor, and this is a chain letter. It's going from church to church to church to instruct them on how they're to respond to this culture that's changing around them. Listen to me. Nero is capturing Christians, dipping them in oil, and putting them on a spigot and lighting them on fire so that you could travel at night. He says, you Christians want to be light to a dark world? I'm going to light you up. And, and here comes Peter going in the midst of this. And by the way, Peter's in Rome as he's writing this. And, and think about it. He says in verse number 9, he says, Not rendering evil for evil or railing for eight, eight railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that they are too called that ye should inherit a blessing. He says, It is my will in your life for you to suffer so that you could inherit a blessing in the midst of it. Look, i got to be honest with you. I live in the United States of America. I don't understand that. But you ask somebody from China, they'll understand it. You ask somebody from India, they'll understand it. Do you know the two fastest growing churches in, this na- in, the world, in the world is in China, number one, and number two is in India. I was listening to... Ravi Zacharias, and he said he was in the interior of China, and he said he had to walk through seven gates to speak at a, at a college. And he said he walked through the first gate, and upon the first gate, when he walked in, the people, and it was in December, the people turned to Ravi Zacharias in China and said, Merry Christmas. He walked through the second gate. They stopped him and said, Merry Christmas. He stopped to the third, fourth, and fifth grade, gate, all of which each time they said, Merry Christmas. He got to the entrance of where he was going to be speaking, David, and there was a banner hanging on the college property. He said, the largest letters you've ever seen hanging down, Merry Christmas. And what have we done with it today? We get fined today for having a manger scene on the courthouse, on the property of the courthouse. I'm telling you, folks, as this culture is changing, there will be something that comes in to fill its void. And the void that's being filled today, is it is being filled with humanism. And I'm telling you, if it's ever going to experience revival, they must see Jesus in us. And so what he says here in this text is he says, you want them to see Jesus in you? Then you bless them when it comes to their condition. 
Now, here's the question we all have. How in the world do you bless somebody in a depraved state? How do you do that? I mean, because I just, I don't understand that. Can I give you five ways you can bless somebody in a depraved state? Number one, you can bless them by loving them unconditionally. By loving them unconditionally. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. But here's the thing. When you look through the eyes of Jesus and you see a living soul, then you see somebody that needs loving, and that love has got to be unconditional because they're only acting like lost people act. Several years ago when I first came, we had this big youth event. I think it was a Disciple Now weekend or whatever. Kids all over the place. And, uh, man, they were lost kids here. I was so excited about lost kids. But Look, I'm telling you what. When you get lost people in the church, I promise you something's going to happen. You know what they did? They went into the bathroom. I mean, just right over this bathroom right in here. They literally ripped the towel bar off of the wall. I mean, it looked like they were trying to climb on top of it. and I mean, ripped it on in the floor. Went to the bathroom, ripped the toilet paper things out of the wall. Did that make you mad, preacher? Man, you better believe it did. Man, it upset me. It's God's house. Why in the world would you do that? I'll tell you why they did it. It's because lost people act like lost people. Now, let me tell you the, the glory from it. Some of those kids got saved that weekend. Thanks be unto God for his grace and mercy. Lost people are going to act like lost people. They're going to destroy. They're going to do crazy stuff. But what they need is for somebody to love them unconditionally and share with them the truth. The first thing you can do to bless somebody is to love them unconditionally. Number two, the second thing you can do is you can pray for their salvation. You can bless them by praying for their salvation. Number three, the third, thing you can, the third way you can bless people is you can tell them you're thankful for them. So when someone persecutes you or someone insults you or someone treats you in an unjust or unfair manner, what you uh, are called to do in regards to this passage of Scripture is to humble yourselves and love them unconditionally, to be sympathetic towards them, to be kind-hearted towards them, to love them again unconditionally, and be putting yourself in a position of being uh, sympathetic to their uh, institution of lostness and desiring that they'll come to know Jesus as Savior. Number four, here's the fourth way you can bless someone that's in a depraved state. You can bless them by speaking well of them. Treating them like a human soul. Treating them like somebody that God's got a plan for. I think about what, uh, what Elizabeth said to Mary. Here's this teenage girl pregnant with the Son of God. And it could have been, she could have been looked down upon and said, you're a nobody. That's not what she did. She looked down upon her and said, Blessed are you among women and the fruit of thy womb. What was she doing? She was blessing her by speaking well of her. I, I, we're, the only, we're the only denomination and only religion, and I use that term loosely, that kick our people when they're down. I mean, the only one. I, I mean, just, it is hard to find restoration, especially in a Southern Baptist church. I, I mean, I remember when I first went into ministry, I've always, 
I know my hair is gray now, but it, I, I used to look really, really, really young. And, and, I, and I use this tongue-in-cheek, this, this story tongue-in-cheek in, in regards to biblical truth. But, but it's the truth. I can remember one time I went to the School of the Prophets. Man, it was a great opportunity. 12th Street Baptist Church, School of the Prophets. Man, I get to go with my, my pastor. It was me. My pastor went together, just the two of us, went to the School of the Prophets. John Phillips was preaching that night. Oh, man, I could not wait. I was just... Oh, so excited. We got there. I walked in, and the, and the pastor said, I want to introduce you to some pastors. And I thought, oh, wow, man, this is going to be a great opportunity. Some of these men I've been looking up to in our community, it's going to be wonderful. I can't wait. Walked up to this pastor. This pastor uh, was there and said, hey, hey, Brother Larry. Hey, how you doing, brother? And, uh, and I'm going to call his name. How are you doing? So I'm doing fine. Brother Larry said, so I want to introduce you to my youth pastor. This is Shane Robertson. He does our youth. That pastor didn't stick his hand out and put his hands on his hips. Watch this now. Put his hands on his hips, looked down at me and said, you don't know nothing. How old are you? Now, number one, I already knew I didn't know nothing. Number two, I was already, I was excited about meeting this guy. But you talk about every bit of life squelched, ripped out of me. Not even an encouragement. Just a, what do you know? You're, you're, you don't know anything. We're the only, only denomination that'll do something like that. Kick them when they're down. Man, we need to be picking people up. Need to be restoring people. Need to be speaking truth, speaking life. Man, you are a somebody. God's got a plan for you. There ain't nobody like you. God puts you on this planet for such a time as this. God wants to use you. He's called you. He loves you. He needs you. And he wants a desire to have a relationship with you. Number five, you can seek and desire their well-being. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 28, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. The first thing he tells the church is he says, Look, if your culture's changing, I'm calling you to reflect on some things. Number two, I've got to hurry because my time is already gone, but let me get through these two points and I'll be done. Not only do we see a call to reflect, we also see a call to respond. So get the context here. He says, Okay, after you've thought about these things, Now I want you to respond. And how does he want you to respond? He says, I want you to respond with your actions. And also I want you to to respond with your attitudes. The actions are found in verse 11, 12, and 13. Look at what he says here in the text. He says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it or pursue it. He says, listen, in this response, when it comes to your actions, there's four things I want you to do. After you've thought about how you're supposed to react, then I want you to react, and that reaction is going to look like this. Number one, you turn away from evil. You're not going to join in with the evil of the day. You're not going to sympathize with the evil of the day. You're sympathizing with a lost soul, somebody that needs Jesus Christ. That's where the sympathy comes in. He says, but you know in the arena of this world, we are in the world, or we are of the world, but we're not in the world. We're in the world, we're not of the world. We're in this world, but we don't participate in the things of this world. We're different, we're aliens, we're strangers, he said. And so your actions will be to turn away from evil. And then he says, number two, your actions will be to do good. And then he says, number three, your actions will be to seek peace. 
You will try to negotiate this arena of peace and harmony. And then number four, then you will pursue that peace. You'll keep walking after that. What he's saying is no matter how just you might have been treated, do not retaliate. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay it, he says. And he gives this beautiful illustration by quoting Psalms chapter 34 in this text. That actually begins in verse 10 where he says this. He says, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no deceit. I don't know if you have your pens, but I want you to underline, if you would, that word love life. That word love life means to draw out of life all the good that you possibly can. He's not talking about your best life now that Joel Osteen wants you to think you might have. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about having a victorious Christian life, one of which people see Jesus in you. And the Jesus that they see in you is one that he is able to redeem you, forgive you of your sins, and put you in a right relationship with God. It's not about getting stuff in this world. It's about getting the Savior and having a relationship with him. So he says there's this action in your, uh, your actions. You're responding with your actions. And then number two, he says you're responding with your attitudes. Verse 14 and 15. Look at what he says there in the text. He says in the text, he says, And, or but, and if ye suffer for righteous sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer for every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That word fear is reverence. And so he says here in this text, in verse 14 and 15, there needs to be a response regarding your attitude. And your attitude is responding. If you think about these things that he listed in verse 8, and then you respond, if you would, with your actions... And that is to say, as he has given us uh, the example here in the text in verse number 11, turn away from evil to pursue this issue of righteousness, to do good and to seek peace. Then he says your attitude is going to be such that you're going to be happy. You see it there? Look at it. What it says in verse 14. Happy are you. You're happy. As happy as that beautiful little tune that's floating through the air right now. Made you smile, didn't it? Happy happy. I watched an episode of um, uh, the uh, Robertsons yesterday, old Duck Dynasty. Old Phil got up there and said, happy, happy, happy. I'm just happy. You know, I, I'm being facetious when I say it uh, in regards to marriage, just, just being funny. But I say in marriage, guys, if you'll learn this important lesson, you'll go a long way. You have the choice to either be right or be happy. I choose to be happy. But could I just say this in regards to your attitude? You know something that will help you in, in regards to your attitude? Knowing this as a Christian, you don't have to have the last word. You don't have to have it. You mean I can walk away and, and somebody's condemn me? Yeah, you can. Remember, Jesus said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It's not my responsibility to try to come up with something clever to say to somebody that's offended me. It's my responsibility to show that person Jesus. And you're upset with me? Bless God, if I had a quarter for everybody who's upset with the preacher, I could retire and go on a mission field. But he says it's going to affect your attitude. 
If you're going to do it God's way, it's going to affect your attitude. And you're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. And he says, in having this happiness, then you don't worry. You're not going to worry. Do not be afraid, he says. You're not afraid of their terror, and you're not afraid. Uh, neither be troubled. You're not going to be troubled from that terror. Their threats are not going to phase you. And this is what he says. But here's something that's intentional in verse 15. He says, but you sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. He's talking about lordship here. He says, you have a choice. You can Remember what sanctify. Sanctify means to put in a place of position. You can put the Lord Jesus Christ at the centermost part of your heart and position him in such a way that people see Jesus in you. Or, watch this, you can take the Lord off of your heart, you can set him aside, and you can put yourself in there. And when you put yourself in there, it only makes a mess. And then he says this, he goes on to say, if you put the Lord at the centermost of your heart, if he's your Lord, he says then, and be ready always to give an answer for every man that asks you the reason of the hope that's one. Within you with meekness, that's power under control and reverence. People will begin to inquire of you. Why, why, what's wrong with you? Why are you this way? Because I see religious people out there, but you're different. You're not religious. There's something different about you. You don't, you don't come across as being better than anybody else. But you come across as having something different. What is that difference? This is it. Watch this. This is where he transitions here. He moves from a call to respond in verse 16 to a call to reveal. Verse 16, 17, 18 says that once you respond properly, then there's going to be this revelation that comes out of you. You will be revealing three important things in your life as a Christian. What are they? Look at number one. Here's the first one. He says the first thing you're going to reveal is a good conscience. Look at verse 16. He says, because you have meekness, power under control, and reverence towards God, verse 15, latter part, verse 16, having a good conscience. He goes on to say that, whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So the first thing he says you reveal, if you'll do it this way, is you're going to reveal a good conscience. Remember what the, what the culture says. Here's the culture's view of conscience. Let your conscience be your what? You better not. You, you better not do that. You, listen to me out there in cyberland. You better not let your conscience be your guide. It'll lie to you. Your conscience will tell you to cuss somebody out. Your, your conscience, they wronged you. Bless God, you wronged them back. You mete out whatever measure of ugliness on you. You put that back on them tenfold. That's what your conscience will say. Your conscience should never be your guide as a Christian. I'll tell you what will be your guide as a Christian. What needs to be a guide as a Christian is the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide. So what is the uh, conscience? The conscience is your goad. You know what a goad is? I love the illustration of a goat. I went to a cattle farm, and there was a good friend of mine, Milford Taylor. And uh, Milford had that, he had this rod in his hand, and it has a battery pack. It had a little button on it. And every time he hit that button, that electricity would go between those prongs, like this right there. And I said, Milford, what are you doing? He said, let me show you. There'd be a cow hung up, and he'd go, and that cow would go, whoop, I got to get going. He was goading that cow where he wanted that cow to go. Your conscience ought to be your goad. It ought to goad you. 
They're going to poke you. And when it pokes you, what direction do you go in? The, it's your choice. You go in the direction of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because your Holy Spirit's your guide. You see, when you look at your life, you can go in one of two directions. You can either go the direction of yourself, selfishness, or as a born-again child of God, you can go after the Holy Spirit. It's your choice. What's amazing to me is the Lord lets you choose, and whoever you feed will be the one you follow. And so he says the first thing they're going to see if you do this, if you operate from this perspective, is they're going to see a good conscience. Number two, the second thing they're going to see is a good conversation. Did you see what he said there? Look at what the text says. He says, uh, they have speak of you as evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That word conversation, is, it's a Greek word. It means your behavior. He's saying there that your behavior as a born-again child of God, if it's in Christ, when they falsely accuse you, they're going to be ashamed of that. I know I, I, know I treated you wrong. Watch this. This story just came to my mind. Many years ago as a youth pastor, I was trying to set a standard for the band. And the band that was playing, we were right in that season where Tattoos hadn't got it everywhere, but the only people that were uh, uh, had earrings and all that were the gothic individuals. You know, those those people that looked like they fell into a tackle box. They, I mean, it was bad. It's rough, rough. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. And so I was trying to hold a standard for the band. And so I said, guys, let's let's try to let's try to present ourselves in such a way that is holy and honors God. Now, I said for that for that reason. Um, I, uh, I don't want you to wear earrings on stage, guys, just for the guys. You know, ladies, you can do whatever, but let, let's, let's try to be consistent, some continuity here. And I wasn't trying to be legalistic. I was just trying to raise the standard. God, God, man, got so upset with me, David. Oh, my goodness. Parents in my office telling me what a bad youth pastor I was. Shouldn't be raising standards for kids and all this jazz. I'm just rough. After it was all said and done... Uh, the family still come to church, but they wouldn't participate in anything that I did. Fast forward 10 years later. 10 years later, the boy surrenders from ministry and goes into ministry. And he, well, I get a phone call one day from him. And I pick up the phone and say, hello. And he said, hey, pastor. I said, well, hey, how you doing? He said, I need to talk to you for a minute. He said, I've been carrying this around for 10 years. I said, what is it? He said, uh, you know, when you set that standard in the band. I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, you remember how ugly I was and my mom and dad were so ugly to you? I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, I got to confess. The only reason I got that earring is for rebellion, rebellious. I was just being rebellious. There was nothing that pleased or honored God by what I did. And I'm calling you today to ask you to forgive you. To, I'm asking you to forgive me. Will you forgive me? for treating you the way that I treated you. It had absolutely nothing to do with the earring. It had everything to do with the standard. And I see now what you were trying to accomplish. And I ruined my testimony. Will you forgive me? And I said, yes. Yeah, I said, I, I forgive you. I love you. I love your family. What can I do to help you? He said, pray for me. Because I want to be that same example to the students that I'm over. Now, what happened to that young man? 
that young man, much like Connor, as I keep referring to him, began to read the scripture for himself and began to realize that it wasn't, it wasn't the appearance that was the problem. It was his heart. It was his heart. His heart was the issue. And once he got his heart right, then he could, with God, he got his heart right with God. He would naturally want to get his heart right with who he thought was his enemy. I promise you, the pastor is not the enemy. I am not the enemy of Christians. I'm not the enemy of lost people. The devil's the enemy. And he wants to drag their soul to hell. I'm out of time. Number, here's the last one. I know, I know. I'm, I'm wrapping it up, okay? Tell them we're going to... Look, we'll be there for lunch. Tell them we'll be there for lunch. It'll be fine. It's not even 12 o'clock yet or 11 o'clock yet. That's 1045 for heaven's sake. All right, here it, number three. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came today? I'm glad you came. Let me give you this last. i got to close because this is the best one. Not only do we reveal a good conscience, a good conversation, number three, we also reveal a gracious Christ. Look at verse 17 and 18, and I close. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. We reveal Jesus Christ, the gracious Christ. So, in response to a changing culture, it's very important that the church have the same mind and that we think about these things, that we're sympathetic, loving, kind-hearted, humbled, that we bless those that curse us. And we produce within that thought process actions that align with the Word of God and attitudes that align with the Word of God. Why? So they'll be ashamed and want to come to know Jesus Christ because your conscience was good, your behavior, your conversation was good, and you revealed the only one that can save their soul. That's Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. Does that describe you? You might say, Preacher, how could I check myself? How could I check myself to see if I'm living this way? Check your Facebook. Check your Instagram. Or check whatever social media you participate in. If it's all gloom, despair, and agony on me, and all you've got to say is everybody that ever hurt you and how mad you are because somebody cut you off and you want to tell them about something, this, that, and the other, ain't nothing godly about that. I'm just as frustrated as everybody in regards to what's happening in our culture today. We're removing monuments like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, the very epitome of institutions that really got rid of slavery and the Emancipation Proclamation and all those things. Oh, yeah, change is coming. Change is coming. And the church better be ready as we rise up for God's glory, for his honor, and for his praise. We sympathize with each other. We sympathize with those that we agree with in our culture. And we also sympathize with those that we don't agree with. Why? Because they're the ones that need Jesus. And we look to them knowing that they need Christ. And we produce these fruits of the Spirit, if you would. We produce these things so that they could come to Christ. May we do so this week as we go eat lunch. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. If you've never done that today, you can. Today, if you'll look to the Lord Jesus Christ with a sincere heart reach out to him and say something like this Heavenly Father I know I'm a sinner 
I believe you're the Savior. Save my soul. Lord, I pray that you'd save me today. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't you look right up this way. If you prayed that prayer, whether you're listening to me by way of video, audio, podcast, whatever, radio, it doesn't matter. I'd love to hear from you if you prayed to receive Christ. If you're in this room today and you prayed to receive Jesus Christ, I want to receive you. I, I've got wrote a little book. I want to give it to you. Uh, it's right back there in the back. I'm going to ask you to stop by this room right here. I'll be in there. I'll be drinking some water. You're not going to bother me. I'd love to say hello to you. If you're a guest, come on in there and say hello. You might have a question about our church. Whatever your need, you come and let me know. I'd love to see you. Now, some of you just need prayer. Here's what I'm going to do today, Phil. We're not going to have time for a come-forward invitation. We're just out of time. If you'd like for me to pray for you, there's an altar in the room I'm going to be in. I'd love to pray for you this morning. I'd love to spend some time. Maybe you're here today and you have other questions about the church, or maybe you'd just like to talk in detail a little bit more about what's going on in your life. Room 256, David will be in that room. He'd love to receive you and pray for you as well. Could we stand as we dismiss in prayer? Remember, we're practicing social distancing. The good news is you don't have to sign up for church next week. I can't wait to see you. We're only going to have a 930 and 11 next week. So we'll continue to social distance, continue to love God, love others, serve the world. Now let's go put in practice what Jesus told us to do today. Lord, we love you and dismiss in a spirit of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our broadcast today. It is the purpose of Maysville Baptist Church to love God, love others, and serve the world. One of the ways that we serve the world is broadcasting this program all over the world through the internet. I want to tell you what a joy it is to have you tune in today. Maybe at the end of the service you prayed and received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Several years ago, I wrote a book entitled My First Week. I would love to send you a copy of this book to help you on your brand new journey as being a born-again Christian. If you'll just reach out to me by our website, send me an email, uh, or maybe even call the church. I'd be glad to drop this in the mail and send it to you. May the Lord bless you for tuning in. I hope to see you next week. And thank you for being with us at Mason.